0: Well, good morning to all you snow warriors. Thanks for coming out in this uh, still winter season that we're in. We got duped into thinking it was spring yesterday. We know better. We should know better than that. But it's good to, uh, to see you out. Well, we've been, as you know, we've been in a series in Romans, in the book of Romans. And again, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 5. Uh, the book of Romans is arguably one of the most uh, influential books in all of Christian history. Uh, Some would argue that in terms of the deep theological instruction and teaching that is in there, but also partly because of that, it is not the easiest book to read. Uh, There are lots of deep theological thoughts in there, and at times it's repetitive, even as we see again today, Paul is driving home a point, coming at it from different angles and uh, teaching at times some similar things, but then flushing it out fuller and fuller and fuller. And uh, so it's just a wonderful text that we wanted to just spend some time immersing ourselves in this really critical and central text of Scripture. Uh, Let me just review a few things. We've been in this series for a few weeks, and maybe you've missed some uh, in in a way or whatever the case may be. But but here's just a high-level overview of some of the things and themes that we've looked at so far. Uh, First of all, this, number one, that there's a problem. And the problem is our sin, and this sinful nature that is there within us, and we'll talk about that a little bit as well today. Uh, the also part of the, Another part of this problem is that God is a holy God. God is a just God. And God is a God also of judgment. And so that compounds this problem. But, but secondly, we've also, well, maybe further to this problem, is we, we see the sins of others and the problems of others easier than we see our own. I think we... If we're honest, we will say that that is true. So that's another component that we've seen. Um, But thirdly, we've also seen that God himself provides the solution to this problem. That his grace through the work of Jesus Christ and the work on the cross provides the solution to this problem for us. That is good news. Which brings me to the fourth point, is that this good news of the gospel is for all people. And we've seen Paul teaching that it is not just for Jews, it is for Jews and Gentiles alike. In other words, it is for all people of all times, this good news, this solution that God has brought us as we all fall short of the glory of God. Fifthly, we have also seen and talked about the fact that our works or being good is good, but it's not good enough. It'll never save us. It is not our salvation. We do not we in favor with God by being good, even though that's part of what God calls us to. And again, we'll get into that more as we get into the book of Romans further. Sixthly, that focusing on the lines or focusing on the boundaries creates legalism. As we try to be good, as we try to live out of this faith that God has called us, sometimes we focus on the line or the, the boxes or the parameters and we find ourselves in a legalism that we don't always recognize. Because, you see, it's easy to see the silliness of other people's legalism, um, but we need to have a faith that is centered on Jesus, not so much on the boundaries of how close to the line of sin that we can get. And then lastly, what I would just say so far is that we have seen that there is both justification and sanctification in the book of Romans. Big words, big theological words, simply meaning that we are justified before God, we are made right before God, and we are found righteous, declared righteous by God, just as if we hadn't sinned. And we also see in the book of Romans that we are also sanctified. We are made holy as we walk in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these two components come through the book of Romans over and over and again. Again, And we'll see them as we continue on in this text. And we've seen them already. So those are just some high-level overview review, reviews of, of where we've been So today, we're going to look at the last half of Romans chapter 5, and Paul really articulates, and we're going to focus on two primary things today. First of all, Paul goes back to the source. He goes back to Adam and Eve. He goes back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, and he says, here's the source of our problem. And he points to Adam and the new Adam and Jesus Christ, and he does this comparative in this text that we'll see today back and forth. And then secondly, he also points uh, points out the implications for all the generations of of this first Adam. But then secondly, he also points out that we have a grace without limits. That this good news of the gospel is a grace that is exponential. That even as sin increases, grace increases all the more. And we'll again touch on that today. So that's a bit of where we've been and also a bit of where we're going today. So let's look at Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and We'll just start there with that first verse. It says, therefore, Paul is speaking here to the church in Rome, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and he's speaking of Adam here, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, and then there's just sort of a pause, and I like it how Paul, just like us sometimes, sort of leaves something hanging in there, and then he goes off in another direction that we see in just a minute. But he's talking here in this first verse that we're looking at today about how Sin entered through this one man, and it leads actually to death. Pretty strong statement. And yet if we think about our lives and we think about the implications of sin in our life, we see that there is a death that comes eventually as we continue down that path. As I was reading this text, it reminded me again of James chapter 1. And you might be familiar with this text where James says this in verse 14 and 15. He's, he's pushing back on people who would say, well, God is just tempting me. And, and He says, no, 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 it's not God that is tempting you. Here's what happens. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And it's sort of this multi-step progression that if we continue down this path of sin and we continue to make choices that compound it and keep going down that road, that, that eventually death is the outcome. Death in one form or another. Because you see, sin isn't harmless, as we sometimes like to think it is. And sometimes when we're in that mindset that Dale spoke about a couple of weeks ago about focusing on the boundaries and how close to the boundaries can we get and how close to the line can we get, and we compromise one thing after another, we realize or we don't realize at times that it can lead to death. Take, for example, in, in our primary relationships, whatever they may be, if you're married, think of it as a primary relationship as with your spouse. If you, if you go down this road of emotional attachments beyond your spouse or what you look at and what you think about, what you allow into your mind's eye, and you focus on the line in terms of how far can you go before it's sin and you kind of have that mindset, if you compromise in those areas and you go down and you project that out in the future, it eventually leads to death of that relationship. How about when we we lie to ourselves? When we deceive ourselves? We don't often think of that. We think about lying to other people, right? We think about, well, if we lie, we're lying to other people. But what about when we become the person who doesn't keep any of our own commitments? And we actually lie to ourselves and we sort of convince ourselves that we're going to do certain things or not do certain things. But then we don't, or we do, and we start to not trust ourselves. And pretty soon it leads to This self-identity crisis of death to our own self-worth and death to our own identity because we stop believing ourselves. So you could go on and extrapolate all kinds of examples of where sin just starts to compound and we start to walk it out and eventually it leads to death in every area of life. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Paul is referring to that in our text today. The choice of Adam and Eve in the garden uh, that's what he's referring to even here in verse 12 that we just looked at. Where Adam and Eve ate this forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They blamed each other. So as there, there was this death of relationship, this brokenness of relationship even between them. They then hid in shame because of their nakedness. And suddenly there was this broken sexuality, broken identity of who they were. They hid from God. And God had to come looking for them in the garden, so to speak. This broken relationship between God and man. And then there was the pain of childbirth and the pain of toil in working the earth and in producing crops. And this brokenness between us and creation. So right there in Genesis 3, we see the implications of sin and the brokenness of primary relationships all over the place that eventually leads to this death. At the end of uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it says this text. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. From dust you are and to dust you will return. Speaking of this truth of death that is there. It's interesting that's a text that is is typically used for Ash Wednesday. Just this last week was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. Where this is the text that is a primary text reminding us of our own mortality. Let's go back Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 13 and 14 and continue on. Paul continues and he says, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. In other words, it didn't just sort of appear once the law was given. It was already there beforehand. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, it a pattern of the one to come. So he's saying, yes, sin existed before the law of Moses. It was there in Adam's time. It was there in Abraham's time. It was there in this, these people's time, which also reminds us that this good news is for all people because sin was there of part of all people. There were no Jewish people in that time until that was established later at the time of Adam. And so we see that that was there at that time also. But also he says that the law does not save you. It only reveals our sin. It only reveals our brokenness. The law just actually points to the fact that we need a savior. Because people throughout those centuries tried meticulously to keep the law as if this would be something that would save them and they found that it came up short again and again and again. Which is the very reason why God established this system of sacrifice, of animal sacrifice, and all of these things that we read in the Old Testament of these animals that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And so God put in place this mechanism to take care of the sins of people through animal sacrifice. But it too is inadequate, insufficient. And so as we come to the New Testament, we see that everything changed, Turn. In your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, you see a text that speaks to this so clearly where the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 10, uh, in the first few verses of that chapter, explains this, of how this, this sacrifice, sacrificial system was so inadequate and in how God brought a new thing through Jesus Christ. Let me just read a few of those verses. It says, "...the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves." For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But here's the deal. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of our sins. In other words, that's all they do. They just remind you of your sinfulness. They actually don't take care of it. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's why Jesus came into this world. To take our sins away once and for all. And to bring to completion a system of sacrifice. So as we come to the New Testament, we see that God changes everything a New Testament plan. It's a different picture. So we see in our text that there is both original sin and there is human responsibility. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they yielded to the tempter, Satan. They fell into sin, you might say. They actually chose their way into sin, as it says in James as well too. And this act echoes throughout all the generations and leaves us with this sinful nature, this tendency, this draw, this thing that that draws us towards that propensity all the time. It's like, what is that? feeling the implications of the choices of Adam and Eve, echoing through the generations. But we still have the ability to choose. Will we choose that path? Or by the power of the Holy Spirit, will we choose a different way? You see, we confirm our heritage with Adam by our own sins every day. And yet, even with this inclination to sin, the power of the cross... And the Holy Spirit at work within us changes that. When you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. In other words, you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the work of the cross in you. You don't have to live that lifestyle anymore. You can choose a different path and not just say, well, I'm of the seed of Adam." No, 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 no. He's saying you have the spirit of God in you that changes everything. Spirit-filled creations of God with the power to overcome. As Paul says, you have the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead living within you. It doesn't control us anymore. It doesn't have to define us anymore. is isn't our identity. We are a new people, a new creation. But there's another incredible truth that Paul points out here in this section of text that we're looking at today, and that's this, that this grace has no bottom. This grace has no boundaries. This grace has no borders. This is a grace without end. It is grace without limits. In Ephesians chapter three, Paul prays this prayer for the Ephesians church, the church in Ephesus, and it's one of the most beautiful prayers in all of scripture, and he, he declares this truth about the love of God, the grace of God, and and his prayer for them is, may you know the love of Christ, how wide and how long and how high and how deep it really is. Remember that? Though it is so great you'll never fully understand it. You think you've got a glimpse of it? Yeah, you just got a taste of it. If you would just know how high and how wide, how long and how deep the love of God really is, this grace without limits, Paul implies in this text, in fact, he more than implies, he says so in verse 20, that as sin increases, that grace also increases. If you look ahead to verse 20, it says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So this grace is limitless. Overwhelming the darkness. Overwhelming the evil. Overwhelming the brokenness bringing healing and hope to places that you think that there is no opportunity for healing and hope. And so in Romans 5.15, I love this first phrase. It says this, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? You can't compare it. It's like this overflow. It's like this grace without end. It's like this grace that never stops. As we turn our lives to Jesus and just receive this incredible gift, this good news of the gospel, all of the darkness, the brokenness, and the sin get swept away and carried off, overwhelmed by this overflow. So I was thinking about this word overflow. I I thought about uh, one place I was last week. I was away for a little bit, and I have a picture here. I thought of Niagara Falls. See that? What an amazing picture. This is an incredibly gifted photographer in his rental car as he's driving by. Too cheap to park and actually get out and get a decent picture. And uh, kind of, there's nobody on the road, so I just kind of stopped and rolled down the window and went click. You can see my shoulder or something on the right-hand side. So this is a beautiful piece of artwork. Actually, Niagara Falls is there. It's right to the left of the, the, that light post, right? That's where the water's going over, right? It's beautiful. I'm going to see if we're going to hang this as artwork in our foyer. Right, Brad? I think this works. This qualifies. We'll leave that shoulder thing in or whatever that is. Okay, so you've been to maybe Niagara Falls. You've seen pictures, videos, or whatever. If Anybody who's been there, uh, I mean, you've, you've heard the thunder and the roar. I could barely hear it in the distance. But I think the picture really captures it. You, it's almost like you're there. And so think of Niagara Falls. Six million Cubic feet of water per minute flowing over Horseshoe Falls. Like, it's just this overflow of water, okay? So when I think of this grace that Paul is talking about, he's, he's talking about this grace that overflows and overwhelms and is just relentless. Niagara Falls is maybe a good image for that. Somehow, things are different because of the cross. What Paul is saying is, even when darkness increases... The light of Christ increases as well. The grace of God is there. The grace of God is sufficient. Exponential grace. It matters for you. It matters for me. As we face darkness in our lives, as we face the brokenness of this world, as we face the brokenness of our relationships, we need to know that this grace of Christ, this light of Christ, changes us and there is hope i love how in exodus chapter 20 right in the midst of moses giving the law the 10 commandments and in the beginning of the law where he is talking about and god is instructing the israelite people and he's saying you shall have no other gods before me and talking about idolatry in exodus chapter 20 verse 5 and 6 there's this interesting little text that is so often encourage me. You might find it discouraging on the front end, but I focus on the back end because it says this. It says God is speaking. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is effective, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So somehow there's this interesting piece that our family of origin matters, and there are implications of how The sins of one generation spill over into another generation. I don't fully understand how that works, but there is a a truth to that that God is speaking to. Okay, but don't get lost in that. Then look at what he says right next. He says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And it's almost like God is saying in the midst of this, yeah, yeah, there's an impact, there's an effect, might be for a couple of generations, but for those who actually stick a stake in the stand and say, I will declare, and I will receive, and I will grab on to this grace of God, this exponential, limitless grace that does not end, that there is an impact for a thousand generations for those who do that. Isn't that a word of encouragement for you? That if you come from a family of brokenness, if you come from a context where there is darkness and pain, that as we grab hold of this grace of God that there is an overflow, there is an excess, there is an exponential, limitless grace that is there for us. This is the gift of the good news of the gospel for a thousand generations. A thousand generations. In the message, Eugene Peterson says this related to Romans five eighteen and 19 and I like how he phrases it and maybe we'll leave our text with this as Paul in the remainder of the text goes back and forth between the implications of Adam and Jesus Adam and Jesus and in the message paraphrase it says it this way it says here it is in a nutshell just as one person did it wrong and got us all in trouble with sin and death another person did it right and got us out of it But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. And so it wasn't just a rescue by the skin of our teeth. It was this gift of grace that leads to a fullness of life unlike anything we've experienced before. So you need to know and you need to hear today that when the darkness is really dark, that the light of God in Jesus becomes really bright. That when things feel broken and heavy that there is an exponential grace that God wants to bless you with an overflow of his spirit, an overflow of his truth an overflow of his love and whether you've come from a messed up family of origin you need to know it doesn't define you it might have some implications on you But it doesn't define you or make your identity. If you are in a place of broken health or broken relationships and we feel the weight and the hurt of that, that there is light and there is grace. You know, sin is this deep discrepancy between who we are in terms of our actions and our attitudes and who we are created to be. And I just want to say to you and Paul is saying to you that that is not your identity, that your identity is found in Jesus. We need to claim our identity. We need to claim our inheritance. I'm going to invite the servers, if they would come up, and we're going to take communion here today. If they would come up and we would walk into communion as our response to this text today. Now, I want to just say to parents, don't leave yet. Parents, normally we, um, we send you out at the end of the message to go get your kids. But today is going to be a little bit different. Normally we do communion uh, the last Sunday of every month. This time we changed it a little bit for, for different reasons. But parents, we want you to stay in here. And the children's uh, uh, leaders, they know this. And they're ready for it to go a, a little bit over time. And we'll have you dismissed to go and get your kids uh, after we take communion together. And so we have servers here that are going to serve you bread, and then they're going to serve the cup upstairs and down here, a gluten-free option here, and also a plate up there as well, too, for those who need that. And just invite you to come and to take that as you need. Um, If you are somebody who is a follower of Jesus, somebody who knows Christ, or desires to walk in that relationship with God today, we invite you to participate. And if for whatever reason you choose not to, just to pass the tray along and to let the Spirit of God speak to you and encourage you today. And you know, because sin is a breach of covenant relationship, and it's a breach of relationship in multiple directions, we often maybe just think of it in, between us and God, which is true, but it's also between us and others. And that's why Scripture encourages us to reflect and to uh, assess and to think about our earthly relationships as well, because the consequences of our sin ripple out to others, and sometimes reconciliation is needed to be together with others as well. And so communion is a time to examine those relationships and to remember and to act on these disciplines of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. I want to read as our text today, before we distribute the elements, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10 again. I read the first part of Hebrews, and I want to Just read verse 11 and following. And listen to the instructions and the implications for communion and for what we do today. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a time to remember what Christ has done, this good news of the gospel. This is a time to remember our earthly relationships and where there is brokenness and needing for healing and reconciliation. This is a time to remember that we are all sinners and forgiven by the grace of God that we come before the throne and we remember and we anticipate his return again one day. As the servers distribute the bread, I would ask that you would just hold it and then as we gather back together, I will lead us and we will eat together and then we will do the same with the cup as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of this gospel, this good news that is for all people. Lord, we acknowledge our sinfulness before you, and we thank you for the overwhelming grace, the exponential grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us for your glory. We pray that you would remind us of your goodness. We pray that you would help us to be a unified body, loving one another, forgiving one another, walking together in freedom and in truth. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, and we give you thanks. Amen.